In today's gospel, Jesus breaks with tradition and incurs the anger of his hometown by pointing out that God can also visit other people in other places in other ways. And this morning for a few minutes, I'm going to break with tradition and talk a little bit about the way God is acting in the life of the church in untraditional ways among untraditional people uh, in, in, in revolutionary ways, I suppose, if you look at it uh, with those, uh, through those lenses. It, 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 and so there's not nearly enough time to uh, fully address the points I want to make. So I'll do a blog post or something with more detail for those of you who might be interested. Let me just address three influences on society at large, but on the church also that I think are changing the face of the church. There is no doubt that the tectonic plates of faith are changing today. I think that is apparent uh, to, to everyone. The, the uh, uh, world has changed a lot. It's a, it's a commonplace to say the world has gotten smaller. It's a, it's a cliche, but of course, like, many, like most cliches, uh, it happens to be true. Uh, the first uh, uh, sociological change that, uh, that I think influences the church a lot is a rise in skepticism. Um, uh, many, many have uh, pointed to what they call a, a postmodern skepticism, and they call it that because uh, it's a reaction to what is seen in many places as the failure of modernity. Uh, and if we think of modernity as the 20th century, then, then there are many, many people in our society uh, not just in this country, but around the world, who think the 20th century failed them. It was a time of war, it was a time of economic destruction, it was a difficult time, and the promises of a better life that were part of the, of the modern enterprise simply uh, haven't been achieved except in small ways. So there's skepticism in the land. People are skeptical about authority in any form. People are skeptical about big government, uh, skeptical about big business and finance, and skeptical about the church. This is the time of uh, the rise of the nuns, as they say, the, that's N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. Those who, uh, when asked uh, about their religious affiliation, say they have none. In uh, 2016, Pew Research completed a poll um, that said that 23% uh, of Americans claim no religious affiliation. That's way higher than it was 10 years earlier. And more troubling, I suppose, more interesting, perhaps, is the fact that, uh, 20, uh, that uh, if you uh, ask, if, ask the millennials that question, it's 30% who have no. So younger people are more apt to have little or no affiliation with the church than older, uh, older Americans. Even more interesting, or what ought to be even more interesting to us is this, that when asked why, they, the, the response was that the church's teaching, teachings were neither interesting, nor important, nor understandable. Hmm. It seems to me that's something we ought to be paying attention to. The church that thrives is a church that's willing to address what seems to be so difficult for some. Opaque. Perhaps 
uh, the churches that thrive today understand, for example, that scriptures aren't in, uh, inviolate. The scriptures are there to be studied, discussed, used to teach us. And the creeds aren't there because we must necessarily believe every item, every doctrine embodied in the creeds. They're there because they're an early attempt to describe the indescribable. And we are here to try to describe the indescribable. Churches that are thriving today don't have a preacher up in a pulpit. Churches that are thriving today have have uh, uh, discourse, have discussion, have give and take. Churches that thrive today don't believe that the rector knows everything or the priest knows everything. In fact, there are very few facts I could quote to you that you couldn't find in 15 keystrokes on your smartphone. So we're all equally well-informed in a way, to the extent we want to be. And the churches that thrived take that into consideration and have discussions, conversations about faith. The second, uh, there's way more to say about that. The second uh, influence on the church uh, is completely obvious, it's globalization. Uh, globalization brings us closer to people of different faiths. When I was a child, I was told, when I was a young, young person, I was told that I it wouldn't be wise if I didn't date a Catholic. Uh, that's uh, today, every Episcopal church I've served, and there have been a lot of them, have as many Catholics in the pews, cradle or Catholics in the pews as any, anything else. Denominationalism is a thing of the past, and what's in front of us today is interfaith dialogue. In um, Lent, we will be doing some interfaith dialogue in the speaker series. I've married a Hindu to a Christian. I've married a Jewish person to a Christian. The, 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 the bringing together of different traditions makes us richer. But it gives us something else that's really important and, and, and maybe even more so. We, when we come into contact with persons of other faith traditions, we naturally want to not lose our own identity. And so churches today that are thriving are also exploring the depths of their own tradition. What makes this tradition so strong? Why are we Episcopalians? Why are we Christians? What was the vitality that gave the early Christian church so much power in the face of so much adversity? What made it strong when it the odds would have been against it. Churches that are thriving today are exploring both things at the same time. Why are, why are we so, who, who are we, why are we who we are, and what can we learn from other traditions? The third uh, trend is one I know nothing about. The electronic revolution. Uh, or the electronic reformation, perhaps we should say. The, when, uh, when, uh, the movable, when movable type was invented, it helped give birth to the Protestant Reformation. I suspect the technological age is gonna give birth to something 
that we don't, I, I certainly don't understand. I don't know how artificial intelligence or edge computing or um, the, the internet of everything is going to change the church. But I think this, I think that all of those technologies will in the end draw us closer together. Maybe without walls like these, although I suspect these walls will be here in 200 years, serving people, but maybe gathered in different ways and maybe able to discuss what matters, what life is about, what it means to be human in different ways. But I don't know, it's way beyond me. The church in every age believes that God is at work in the world despite all of the ambiguities and uncertainties and revolutionary changes. The kingdom of God is always a present reality in addition to being a future hope. Our work is always to be, to cooperate with the spirit of God, which is hard at the work of goodness. Perhaps all of these changes can be summed up in the word engagement. That the church that your grandchildren and their grandchildren will love is a church that's engaged. Engaged. Engaged in conversation about scripture. Engaged in conversation about the, 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 the creeds and the meaning and what it is to be the church. Engaged in the neighborhood. Engaged in the people nearby, engage with our neighbors as broadly as we can come to understand the word neighbor. And more importantly, perhaps, never completely satisfied with, the rela with our relationship with God. Never completely satisfied with the meaning and the purpose of all of this. The end of which is God. In his last sermon, Martin Luther King preached at the National Cathedral. Martin Luther King said this, one of the great liabilities of life is that all too many people find themselves living amid a great period of change and yet fail to develop new attitudes. They end up sleeping through a revolution. Let us at St. John's not sleep through this revolution. Amen.